Uh, last week, though, we came to the point, just came out of victory with Jericho. And we're standing on the brink of another battle. And, and so they do the same thing. They go in and they um, send spies and they go, we can take this land. But they came in defeat. Last week we talked about the defeat in this Christian life that, that just because I had victories in my past does not guarantee that I'll have victory in my future. That you might have won Jericho, but you are looking at a new battle, new people, new challenge, and it requires that you walk by faith. Something happened, though. There was the sin of Achan that spoiled it. He disobeyed. He took of the devoted things. And we're gonna, I'm going to mention that in a minute. Such a powerful picture that I didn't mention last week because I'm saving for this week. But a lot of times people think that my private sin will never affect everybody. As long as it stays private and nobody knows about it, my private sin won't affect everybody. And you, you see so many places, like among men in pornography, how it affects marriages. It tears down the joy and it tears down the unity and the, the intimacy. And before long, it, it is proven that it affects marriages to the point of divorce. But it's private. Nobody knows about it. But it affects everybody around you. Your sin affects everyone. And so we looked at this defeat uh, in Israel, that Israel came before the battle, and, uh, and, and it said in verse 3, he said, uh, do not make the whole people toil up there. For the, for the people of Ai, they're few. So about 3,000 men went up from there, and, and they, they fled before him. They were defeated. They ran for their lives in retreat. This powerhouse country, country that had the hand of God on their side was running for their lives from a small country, yeah. The, the picture I drew last week of, uh, I'm sorry again to mention it, but the Duke Blue Devils. Duke Blue Devils. They're a powerhouse school. So many legends that you've learned to hate through the years, right? And, and some that you're okay with. I like Kyrie. I'm not a Duke fan. But the powerhouse school, they came against Mercer Bears, you remember? And they thought, we got this. Nobody doubted that the Mercer Bears, that's a little school in Macon, Georgia, would beat Duke Blue Devils. But the crazy thing, if you're not dependent on the Lord, there's no guarantee of victory. It's by faith. And so they did not, they thought, we got this. And so we see this picture then, there's a despair in leadership. They were unified in their despair. Joshua and all the elders are face down before God saying, why? And God gave them a directive. The directive was pretty simple. The Lord said, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. The whole country, the whole nation there's one man that had sinned. And so there was a direct dir directive from God, and then Joshua took it, and he was diligent with the directive from God. He went and gathered the people. God told him to, to gather them and pick, by, by casting lots, 
Pick the tribe. By chance or by sovereignty? By sovereignty, of course. And it narrowed it down from tribe to family or clan to household, man by man, and they came up with a man named Achan. Mentioned last week, are you the Achan that's breaking God's heart? Uh, almost named it, that was almost the sermon title. But, but are you, really, he came to the point and he was caught in his sin. Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. He began to confess all the things that he did. And, and listen, what did he do last week? We said it. He saw it. He took it. Or he saw it. He wanted it. He took it, and he hid it. Right? Saw it, wanted it, took it, and hid it. Eve saw it. She, she saw the fruit. She wanted it. It was pleasing to the eyes. She took it, and they hid from the Lord. David did the same. He saw Bathsheba. He wanted her. He took her. He arranged to take her. And we know what happened. He hid his sin in the death of her husband. And so listen, the sin that caused distress in the whole country, they had to judge it. They had to judge it because if they didn't judge that sin among their body, then they would be judged before God. It would be a reproach to the nation of Israel. And so this display of justice, just judgment on him, uh, seems crazy that he confessed, right? He confessed. Why is he being judged? And I think about the judgment that came on the body of Jesus Christ. That he bore my weight on his cross. That, that when I come before a holy God, I don't stand there in my own confidence. I stand there only in the blood of Jesus that I can be reconciled to God. And that if I confess my sins, I'm open about my sins. He is faithful, and he's right. He's just to forgive me of my sins because of what he did on that cross. God doesn't just look at your sin and say, it's all right. Remember, we talked about that. God doesn't say, it's okay, grace, it's taken care. No, God requires that your sin be judged. That's his justice requires that your sin be judged but his faithfulness is that he sent the sacrifice to be judged in your place and this is how we looked at it we ended last week with an invitation for for our sake jesus god made jesus to be sin who knew no sin he was perfect so that in him we might become the righteousness of god and so i i pray that this week as you've meditated maybe you've struggled in sin that you be reminded there's hope there's freedom there's forgiveness in the midst of the rut of sin that you're living in right now don't remain in defeat so we turn today to the next uh next chapter chapter eight we're going to get back on track amen Uh, If last week wasn't super encouraging to you, 
Hopefully this week will be. Um, I think last week hit a nerve of every one of us that, that maybe battle with things, temptations and sins in our privacy of our home or, or, or just people don't realize the battles we face. And last week was an encouragement that you can have forgiveness. This week, there's the step towards victory. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever traveled to Atlanta, Georgia, all right, you go down Interstate 75, okay? I have taken that trip over the last 12 years, I, I, I no doubt at least 120 times to see family, maybe not that many times, but, but to see family, there's nothing more discouraging as you're going down, you're cruising along through southern Kentucky, right? It's a four-lane highway weaving through the mountains, and you come over a hill, and you see this. If, if you're in Atlanta, Georgia, you just skip off to a road and then cut through, and you're back on track, right? But when you're in Kentucky or Tennessee, you're on some mountain highway and you're stuck between, behind a number of trucks and it's so discouraging. You, if, if you're a dad in here, you, your blood pressure shoots up and um, you're more apt to snap at your kids, right? I have to go to the bathroom. Not now, right? We're going to get through this. And, and all this going on, you're just miserable. But then you get back on the interstate and you're back on track. There's nothing more uh, joyful than that. And so you look at the nation of Israel. They just had victory in Jericho. And they go to the next battle. They did it in their own strength. And they were defeated. And there was sin of Achan that they purged. And so now what's next? I want to I challenge every person in the room. Are you off track? Do you need to get back on track? And let me, let me clarify. I feel like so many times we can grow numb to the fact that it seems like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. That we're just going through the motion of this Christian life. Maybe there's issues of sin that we've grown so callous to, like we talked about last week, that we don't realize why it's so difficult. Why does it feel like heaven is silent? Why is it that when we get up and worship, I just lifelessly stand here? I'm struggling in my heart. I don't know the closeness and the, the intimacy of my walk with the Lord, and I'm just struggling. I don't have any passion for Christ. But I'm still a believer. I trust him. I believe the Bible. What is missing? God is ready to lead you if you're ready to listen. Where you're stuck right now requires faith to get out of this place. It requires repentance. It requires these things that draw you back in submission to him that you're sensitive to his leading again, that you hunger to be with him. It's not just about going to church and taking care of that, but I want intimacy with him. God is ready to lead you if you're ready to listen. 
The nation of Israel coming to the point they should have the cry of their heart should be the very thing that Samuel said. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I'm listening to you. I'm ready to follow you. And so Joshua chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have the verses on the screen. Um, I I encourage you never to take my word for it. I I encourage you, I'll say this, the Catholic Church, uh, the priest will stand up and say, you do not need to have your own Bible. I'll tell you what you need to know. I'm going to say the opposite. I'll I'll tell you the things that the Lord has given me to share with you, but I want you to judge everything that comes out of my mouth by the book that you have in your hand. Okay? I want to say that up front. And so I'll put it on the screen, but you judge every word that comes out of my mouth by the book that you hold in your hand. Okay? Um, There's a renewed confidence in verses 1 and 2 of Joshua chapter 8. There's this renewed confidence that, that God has come by. They just walked through defeat. They walked through this process of repentance. They judged sin correctly, like they took care of it, like God told them to do it. And then God draws near to Joshua and, and encourages him, brings confidence to him in the Lord. Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, and the Lord said to Joshua, said, do not fear or be dismayed. Ironically, those are the same words that he said in Joshua chapter 1. Don't fear. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. Right? He was taking his whole army. He could defeat them, right? Ai is just 12,000 men. reality is God based on the strength of a country. It's based on the fact that God has given them the victory, right? The first time Joshua took the advice of the spies and said, we got this. The second time God took the marching orders of God. So verse two, and you shall do the same thing to Ai. And it's king as you did to Jericho and its king. Except there's one difference. Look at this. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Do you hear what that's saying? What did Achan do in Jericho? He took a plunder for himself. Right, they, they defeated the city and he snuck some stuff into his house and he took it for himself. Well, now at Ai, they said, you can take for yourself. Why in the world was it wrong to do it at Jericho and right to do it at Ai? You ever thought about this? This is what I mentioned earlier about why could they take the plunder? Why couldn't they do it at Jericho? It's a concept. It's being portrayed to us as a picture, a demonstration of first fruits. Have you ever heard of first fruits? Uh, some, some televangelists will get on and say, we just want you to sow your first fruits to our ministry, right? And they take this so far out of bounds. So a lot of times, the only time you hear the concept of first fruits is because somebody's just trying to take your money, right? 
We just want you to sow a gift of $962 because of Matthew chapter 9, verse 60. Anyway, they make up things and try to get your money, but the reality is there's a principle of giving as unto the Lord that's a first fruit thing. It requires you to trust with what you have because you don't know what you're going to get later, right? I've chosen... It was probably 10 years ago, was challenged about this, and I chose that when I receive a check for living, for, for the work or the ministry I serve in, when I receive a check, the first thing that I do is what? Give as unto the Lord. Why? I've noticed before that, when I start figuring my numbers, and I get down to the bottom line, it's like, oh, it's going to hurt to give to the Lord this week. Do you identify with this? When you're figuring your expenses and you're getting down to the bottom and then it's like, I'm going to struggle to give to the Lord today because it's going to be tight the rest of the week. But when you give first fruits, you're saying, Lord, I trust you to provide. I'm trusting you. And this picture, look, this is a way bigger picture than me getting your money or some televangelist getting your money. You remember... Cain and Abel, they took their offerings before the Lord. And what was, what was Cain's offering? It said he eventually gathered enough and he eventually brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the land, right? Eventually. It wasn't the first fruit. But then what did Abel offer? The firstborn. Right? The picture is God accepted this offering because it was the firstborn, it was the first fruit of his offering. Achan, the same situation. This situation in Jericho, that was devoted as unto the Lord. That wasn't the nation of Israel's to touch because that was God's. The first victory in the land, it's God's. Don't touch that. But then, AI, it's the second one. You can have it. Right? This is all a very, very powerful picture of God sending his first. God sending his best. God sending Jesus on our behalf. And what's it say? Uh, we're called sons of God. Right? Right, he bears witness with our spirit that we're children, we're children of God, and through this picture, God is sending his best, first, his only begotten son, that many will come after him. This is a very powerful picture, and I, I want to keep rolling now. I know we parked there for a minute. I wasn't planning on parking there that long. Uh, but verse 3, there's this renewed command. So the renewed the renewed uh, confidence, but then there's a renewed command. It's a different battle, right? It's a different city. It's a different battle plan, but it's the same commander. They're realigning with God as the commander of their army. We must trust and obey God in every battle that we're facing. We must we must not depend on past victories. Like the things that God did in your life 20 years ago does not determine your victory today, like we said earlier. Uh, I think of Uncle Rico. 
How many people in here know who Uncle Rico is? All right, that's good. Chester, I'm proud of you, man. You know who Uncle Rico is. Uncle Rico is from Napoleon Dynamite. He's quoted as saying, I won't say it like he says it, but he said, back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Right? He said this, yeah, coach would have put me in in fourth quarter, we have been state champions. Right? No doubt, no doubt in my mind. This whole thing, he's living in his past and the things that, and he's just consumed with it. If, if you've ever watched Napoleon Dynamite, I'm sorry up front because it's a terrible movie. It's so terrible that it's funny, right? But Uncle Rico living in his past and the things that could have been and the things that happened way back then, reality is he's missing out on life today and the victories that are today. It's like driving down the road, looking in your rearview mirror. It's hard to steer on the road that you're looking forward at. And so there's a new command. This is, they're renewed to the command of God himself over the army of, or or over the nation of Israel. Verse three says, Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go to Ai, where they'd just been defeated, by the way. Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor Sent them out by night. That's the first group that he sent out by night. 30,000 men. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city. Just behind it. You hide out and get ready to pounce. Don't go very far from the city, but all you remain ready. And I and all the people, this is group number two, the people that are with, with Joshua, Uh, All the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, just like they were defeated, they were running for their lives, said we shall flee before them, running for their lives. They're tricking them, right? It's a cunning battle plan. By the way, whose battle plan was it? Pretty cunning battle plan. It's a different battle plan than Jericho. It says, and they will come out after us until we have drawn them out away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing from them. And you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hands. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. By the way, this this was not a, hey, go ahead and take victory. When you see the commandments of God in the New Testament to walk in obedience, he's commanding you to have victory in him, a victory that he's provided. Verse 9, so Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai in the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. All right, I'm going to encourage you right now. Or or I'm going to try to impress you right now. All right? You're not going to be super impressed. But I'm going to try to right now. I, and I'm not boasting, by the way. I just want you to say that. I can replace my own brakes and rotors on my truck. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I could do that when I was 12. But I can do it, right? At the same time, 
You know what else I can do? I can clean my carburetor on my lawnmower and take it out, disassemble it, pull it apart, and then clean it. But some of you have no clue what a carburetor is. You need one on your mower to let it work. Okay? All right, here's something else I can do. I'm scared when I do it. But I can rewire plugs and outlets in my house. That's kind of impressive, right? Are you impressed yet? Here's another thing that I can do. I can cook a gourmet meal for my family. It's a true story. I can, I can do it, can I? Yeah, Brandy kind of nodded her head yes. All right, last but not least, I've done this before too. This is so difficult, tech guys in here. I have replaced a screen on, a, on one of my tablets. It's tricky. Are you impressed? All right. But listen, I'm going to tell on myself. You know why I could do all five of those things? There's something called YouTube. There's YouTube. And there's nothing impressive about the person that can do any of those five things when you find out, oh, he can't really do it. It's really just Google. He just knows how to take instructions. He knows how to do this. Okay, now after that step, do this. And we get enamored by a man. We get enamored by somebody that's standing in a position of leadership like Joshua. You know why he's a good leader? Because he follows instructions. Because he's under submission of the commander of the army of the Lord. So don't get enamored by a man. Reality is, God chooses the nobodies, the least. God chooses the Pauls, who are nobodies. Why? He says this, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You think that you were chosen because you are something else. And you're God's gift to mankind. Reality is you were chosen so that God wouldn't lose glory to you. That everybody would glory in his presence. That had to have been God. This is Joshua's story. It was God's strategy, God's victory, and and it's only God's glory. And so Joshua chapter 8 verse 10. Joshua rose early in the morning. He mustered the people and went up and and he, had, he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with them went up and drew near before the city and camped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men. It's another group. And he set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. And so this battle plan's in motion. You got people here, you got people there, you got another group of people way out there ready to ambush and we're ready for the victory. It's an incredible battle plan. Verse 14, as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried out and went out early at the appointed place. And it was the appointed time toward Erba. To meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. 
So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. It's a crazy battle plan. We're going to draw them out. And after everybody's out, what's going to happen? We're going to take the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city wide open and pursued Israel. You think about coming against a city. How do you defeat a city that's empty? Just take it, right? It's a, a phenomenal battle plan for a game called Capture the Flag. There's always one person that's guarding the flag, right? And once that one person leaves the flag, then it's the perfect time to swoop in and grab it, right? Let me put it a little closer to home. It's the greatest battle plan in checkers, right? Your whole plan is to get that back defense opened up so that you can sneak in and beat them by the end line, right? I'm not huge on checkers, but anybody could beat me at it. But the same idea, empty out the city, and then we're going to come behind and take it over. Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin, the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. What's that sound like? Does that sound familiar? A couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, uh, I believe it was Steve, you were sharing, and uh, we were holding the holding the rod right here. I think Jake came up, a couple, I forget the other one. It was it Hunter and Jake? And they were holding up the arms so that they would not let it, and as Moses was battling Amalek, you remember that? What happened when his arms were getting tired and weary? They were losing the battle. And so when it came back up, they were winning the battle. And so who, who came to the, the aid? It was Aaron and Hur. Aaron and Hur held up the arms of Moses, and they won the victory. But I want you to see, do you remember we talked about that like three months ago? Maybe four or five months ago. Look at this, Exodus 17. Moses said to who? Same dude. Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out to fight Amalek. You ever, like, it comes together a little bit. Verse 13, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Right? God used Joshua to lead this, this thing to victory. And, and when he comes back from the front, what, did, what was the command that Moses was given that said, the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of who? God wanted Joshua to know that the victory he had against Amalek back way back when Moses was in command, back in Exodus 17, God wanted Joshua at that moment to know that that victory had nothing to do with him. That victory had nothing to do with Moses. That victory had to do with the Lord. And so as he was raising his javelin toward the city of Ai, you can imagine he was remembering that. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place 
And as soon as it stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. They had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. They were just melted in defeat. They were completely overwhelmed. They'd been tricked. Verse 24, when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them, the very last, had fallen by the edge of the sword, all of Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. Wiped out everybody? Why would God cause them call them to wipe out everybody so much so that 12,000 people says both men and women God had devoted that place to destruction if you look back at the the story and the life of Moses when God was speaking and telling him that when you enter the land you need to devote it to destruction why for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Sometimes it's, it's the right thing to do a drastic thing. And by the way, this is a, I'm, I'm treading carefully because this is not what this passage is saying, but it's this thought. It's not even in my notes. Sometimes it's the right thing to do the drastic things for your kids. I, I remind you of a time when I... I thought I could date a girl, any girl I wanted to date. And my dad said, you're not going to date that girl. I said, what kind of dad tells his kid not to date a kid, a, a, a girlfriend? My dad was that kid or that guy. My dad stood at the front door of a young lady's house, knocked on the door and said, is John home? He said, yeah, he's here. Is John here? And he, he, I came to the door and there was my dad looking right at me. He said, get on your bike and get home. It's at that moment he told me to get in the car. My whole family, we drove out in the country. He didn't wail on me. I was a teenager. Um, But he said, you will not date that girl. You have no clue what's going to happen to your life if you date that girl. And I remember there was a lot of tears, a little bit of yelling. Like, this is so unfair. I just couldn't bend around my dad's authority. He wouldn't let me date that girl. And to this day, I'm eternally grateful for the protection that my dad usurped in my life using his authority that seemed like he was wrongly doing it. I'm beyond grateful today because my dad cared more about my purity than I did. Sometimes it's the right thing to be, do a drastic thing on behalf of your kid. So as... He hung the the king of Ai, he was already dead at that point, uh, most likely. He hung him on a tree until the evening. At sunset, Joshua commanded that they took the body down from the tree and they threw it at the entrance to the gate of the city. This is a shameful thing, right? There's bringing shame to this king, bringing shame to Ai. Threw it at the entrance of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands to this day. It's the stones that are still there of what God had done on behalf. Not today, but at the day when they wrote this book. This picture is so powerful that God took the enemy 
and made him an open shame. Right? He disarmed him. I've heard that before. That Jesus, on our behalf, he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in literally in his cross. This picture of gaining the victory and open shame to the enemy is this picture of spiritual things that God has done on our behalf. He's brought open shame to those enemies, those spiritual enemies that stand against us. And so there's this renewed conviction. They had just had the victory. Uh, God had uh, placed in them a new confidence in him and placed them uh, a, the, a new command. This, he took over the command. And now there's a renewed conviction. Ironically, that this is what was commanded should, do, should happen after they entered in and gained victory. I, I want to ask you, uh, what is your experience in the Christian life? Do, do you ever get to the point where you look at your life and you say, man, I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm not sinning as much. I'm not struggling with temptation. And, and kind of in your, in your pride, you think, man, I'm doing all right. You know what happens? I, I can testify to this. You know what happens when you think you're standing? You fall. When you think that the reason you're standing is because you're doing pretty good, I'm really cleaning my life up. I'm doing all right. You're going to fall. It's crazy. You have another reaction, another response to these victories that God's giving you is this, this humility that says, Lord, thank you for the victory. Thank you for a victory that I couldn't win on my own. Ironically, this is... Not only do you not fall, but look what it says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And your walk with Christ, you're going through the motions and you, you, you start to gain a little intensity and you want to have better conviction. You work on it, you get better, and you, you think, man, I've done it. I've gotten the victory. And the next day, you're back in the pit. Humbly thank him for the victories that he's given you and continue to depend on him. So verse 30, at that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord just like Moses had commanded him. He built an altar at Mount Abel and if you're looking at a map, I don't have a map on here, you're talking about a 30-mile hike in the middle of enemy territory to go to a mountain to set up an altar. A 30-mile hike with over 2 million people. Right? There's a lot of history that happened in that area, Mount uh, Ebal. But verse 31, I'm going to keep rolling. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. This is the kind of worship that... It's not, a, it's not by the hand of man. This is by the hand of God. This is God and his glory. It said they offered it on a burnt offering, the Lord's sacrifice of peace, uh, or, and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. 
what she had written and inscribed it on the stones. Man, there's so much I could say. If Yeah, we pray, man, soon we'll be able to do Sunday nights because there's so much you can say about the law being inscribed on the heart right here. But, but we're going to keep rolling. Uh, and there in the presence of the people, he, he wrote on the stones. I'm sorry, the writing is super tiny right here. But all of Israel, sojourner as well of native born, with their elders, officers, and judges, stood on the opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and, and half of them in, the, in front of the Mount Ebal. And just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded them to bless the people of Israel. And that what, what's happening here is this massive natural amphitheater. Over two million people. You've gathered them And what's the most important thing that Joshua would do here? He offered a sacrifice and he says, afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses. I remember preaching on that probably three months, four months ago. After they read a blessing, what did the people do? Said, amen. If you do this, you'll be blessed. You remember we said, can I get an amen? I was, a, I was a southern boy from Georgia, even though I grew up in New York. And I said, can I get an amen? Amen. So, so when he read it, a blessing, the people said, amen. All right. When they read a cursing, the people said, a little bit more heartily, but, but the idea is they're renewing to this conviction this covenant that had been there's a commitment to the way that god had intended them to walk in victory in the first place this renewed hunger and drive to to walk as unto the lord and they were all agreeing that if we don't do these things we'll be cursed amen if we do them we will be blessed amen and and so as it is written in the book of the law And so I I bring all this to this screeching halt because we've just been plowing through chapter 8 and it it feels like so much to process, but it's so rich. Uh, I know as you look at your life and you feel the weight of maybe you've just come out of this uh, place of sin. Uh, I know uh, a number of times in my life the Lord has drawn me to be very low and broken and mourn over my sin. Uh, sometimes that's what Vesuvius was about. Going to Lake Vesuvius was just to walk in the woods and cry out to God. Uh, when's the last time you've been broken over your sin? So much so that you feel disoriented when you've confessed and you've forsaken and you say, Lord, give me freedom, give me victory. And, and now it's like, what next? What next? I had a message from somebody, a young man said, what do I do next? Help me know what's next. I'm reminded when David was crying out to God, he was defeated by sin, just overwhelmed, um, and he covered up his sin with other sin and covered up that sin with other sin, and he's just spiraled down until the prophet Nathan, he came to him and confronted him. And David, you can see in Psalm 51, cried out, just 
the whole chapter you need to read for yourself. Psalm 51. He cried out to God, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Has God forgiven you of your sin? Has God forgiven you of what you've done? Uh, that's the clean heart that you've been set free from. You've been forgiven. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Have you been forgiven of your sins? But the next thing, have you forgiven yourself? problem is so many times we read in the word of God that God forgives us of our sins. God set us free. God took the shame. He took the weight, the penalty, the bondage of my sin on himself and he forgave me. He wiped it clean and I'm forgiven. But then when we stand at the sink and look in the mirror, it's hard for us to forgive. We say God can forgive, but I can't let go. I can't let go of the shame of my past sin. What happens is you're struggling. You, you don't have a right spirit because you're so bound by the guilt and shame of what you've done. God said you're clean. Could you imagine the nation of Israel after they were defeated at Ai, just parked in Gilgal and, and just sulked over the fact that, man, we just lost we're a bunch of losers. We didn't trust God. You know, the, the picture of the Christian life about getting back on track, and it, this is a, if you want to call it a takeaway point, that this is so powerful when you see this story, when you see it in the lives of people around you. Don't dwell. Don't dwell in the pain of your defeat. Don't just stay there. Don't live in the pain of your defeat but lay hold of the promises of God and move forward to victory. Get what I'm saying? If you are in that place where you look in the mirror and it's hard for you to even look at the face of the person that's looking back at you, and you can't forgive the things, you can't forget the things that you've done, if God has forgiven you, don't dwell in the pain of your past defeat. But lay hold of the promises of God and move forward to victory. There's so much property, there's so much land that God intends for us to lay hold of. He's promised it in the Christian life. There's too little time to live this life to lay in that place of sulking about where you've been defeated. 